Dragon the Peg is recorded in Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Sunshine Bunch, one of the hardest working queens here in the city. She was Duchess for the last Kurt reign here in Winnipeg and all of Manitoba. And she was the first Miss Gay Winnipeg. She's going to bring you to church, make lots and lots and lots of noise for Prairie Sky! Welcome to Drag in the Peg, a podcast series exploring the lives and careers of drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Hooson, and I'll be your host. Well, folks, we've made it. After 12 episodes, we've reached the season finale, and if choosing the guest for episode one was difficult, choosing who'd close it out was simple. I wanted someone who encompassed all areas of drag that I hold close to my heart. Yes, talent, glamour, beauty, and elegance, but also intelligence, wisdom, kindness, and a voice of change in our community. Today's guest is one that always keeps me on my toes, and if I'm being honest, she both enamors and terrifies me. She's witty, gritty, and fearless, and isn't afraid to ask the hard questions, including one very key question that, after 12 episodes, deserves an answer. Why do I include a land acknowledgement at the beginning of each episode? There's no way I can answer this briefly, so before we get started, allow me a minute of your time to talk about reconciliation. It seems like such a huge word and such a huge process, one that's way out of the scope of one little podcast. And it is. It wasn't something I considered when I started working on this project. By now, I've seen dozens of drag shows and hundreds of numbers, and there are a few that still stick with me. One was at the Tallest Poppy back in September 2018 with Pheromones, Lita Tequila, and Prairie Sky. She was wearing a gown inspired by traditional indigenous women's regalia, the same one on today's episode graphic. Her performance was a medley, Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas, Burn Your Village to the Ground by A Tribe Called Red, and Spirit of the Wind by Buffy St. Marie. As cheesy as it sounds, I don't think I can describe to you how powerful that experience was. A six-foot-plus tall drag queen lip-syncing to songs about reclaiming indigenous space and smacking me in the face with her floor-length shawl in the tallest poppy on a Sunday morning was kind of transformative. Her reclaiming that space reminded me that I needed a more well-rounded approach to talking about drag in Winnipeg. The way I understand it now, for many decades the scene was dominated by cis white male queens, and it took years for some of the first powerhouse indigenous queens like Vita L'Amour, Anita Stallion, Sandy Bay, Brianna Burlesque, and Melissa Thunderpuss, to break through those barriers. All of the queer spots in Winnipeg that we value and love as inclusive and safe spaces are built on the imperialism of white settlers. And we're still seeing the effects of that today in those same safe spaces. I've seen firsthand racism and classism used to shut out indigenous folks from the clubs and centers that we love. This podcast also required me to sit down with several indigenous queens and ask them about their experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It put these queens in a place where they had to tell me, a young white queen with no concept of the drag scene before April of 2018, about what it was like navigating the world as an indigenous drag performer over a decade ago. That's a lot of emotional labor I asked of them. It's also worth noting that much of the queer phobia we queens face is a direct hand-me-down from colonialist practice and European ideas of sex and gender. So many of the barriers you've heard our guests talk about isn't just the way it has to be. It stems from somewhere, and it's tied to the roots of settlers in Canada. So what's a queen to do? At the very, very least, I could provide a platform for just a few of our city's legendary indigenous and Métis queens to talk about their experiences. 
And I could place that acknowledgement at the beginning of the episode to remind myself as much as anyone that you can't look at queer issues and queer stories without an intersectional lens, and you can't separate Winnipeg's drag scene from the contributions of so many legendary Indigenous performers. So now, I'd like to welcome the very final guest of season one. She's an academic and advocate for many causes and one of the hardest working queens in our city. As I said, it's hard to describe the emotions her performances evoke. It's just something you'll have to see for yourself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome the house mother of the horrors of Lady Frances and den mother of the Sunshine Bunch, Prairie Sky. My name is Prairie Sky, and I have been living in Winnipeg for four, five years, four or five years now. And I currently work three jobs, and I'm a drag queen. I'd like to confess something before we begin. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit afraid to speak to you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because you're one of, I think, the most esteemed queens in the local scene. Oh, thank you. And I think people take kind of the queen part of drag queen a little bit lightly, but there is kind of this like regal essence to drag queens, and it's it was a little bit intimidating to meet you. I mean, that's all a performance. None of us are very regal. We're all kind of gross and disgusting, particularly <laughs> in Winnipeg. So nobody should ever be afraid to talk to us. I, yeah, all the queens that I've spoken to have been super kind and everything. But do you get that a lot? Are a lot of people afraid to speak to you? Not really. I get a lot of, oh, I'm, I've been following you on Instagram for a while, or I... I've heard about you or my kid really likes you and stuff like that, but nothing, nobody's ever been outright and said, Oh, I'm afraid of you. (laughs) (laughs) Not afraid so much in like a fear sense, more of like a reveration. I actually would understand the fear more than I would understand the reveration. (laughs) (laughs) You're also quite tall in drag. I am. Yeah. Seven feet tall. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty close to seven feet tall. That was when I was younger and, uh, a little bit more athletic and so I was able to wear higher heels, and now I don't wear those killer heels very often. And I definitely don't perform in them because I just, I'm not that agile. <laughs> and let's have the best time with your final number of the Are We in the Afternoon Yet? Yes. Afternoon. We were here this morning. True story. I am 40 years old and too old for this. So then what was the first time, or when was the first time, that you got into drag? Or even, actually, before that, when was the first time that you considered doing drag? Well, it's funny, because so I don't know if it's considered drag or whatever it was. When I was when I was living in Oak Lake, we used to dress me up because it was the only way that us kids could get liquor. <laughs> and so they would put me into, like, girls' clothes, my, friends, my friend Erica and Patty's clothes, and, like, put Barbie heads under a toque and I used to wear these awful army boots and go into the small beer store and be able to buy beer that way. Later on, when you become an adult, uh, people share things with you and they're like, oh, we knew it was you. We just really, <laughs> we really respected your bravery. <laughs> and so we would buy like beer from the beer store or from the vendor or else we would just go and buy someone like hooch from somebody. That was like my first time ever playing around with my outward gender expression and then I just never did it afterwards and then I started doing it more frequently I guess in in my late 20s and early 30s so yeah my late 20s when I was living in Mexico is when I started playing around with makeup and clothing and being a little bit more open to these kinds of 
playful ideas around gender. So then when was the first time that you were booked as Prairie Sky? I think it would have been... It, I, I don't actually think that I was booked until very, very recently, until a few years ago, like two or three years ago. I went out lots in drag and I just made myself kind of present in various scenes. Like I would, when I lived, when I lived back home in my first nations community, I would go to Minneapolis and I would go to Duluth and I would come to Winnipeg and I would always bring drag with me. And even when I lived in Mexico, I would always have like drag or something fun or something like club kitty with me. And I would just go out. But in order to get gigs in Winnipeg three years ago, we just had to create our own. And so we just, we started doing the the like that at Sunshine House bingos at the Goodwill Social Club. I-20, the average age of men who think I am stable on Grindr. <laughs> they are in for a treat. And that really took off. And that really made all of us kind of a force within the local scene because we were doing something different and other people started to take notice and we're very very supportive so like the more established i guess circuit or ruling class of drag queens in the city <laughs> the SOMS they uh they were very supportive and often very kind and receptive and came out and supported our events then we started collaborating on different events so i think the first joint event that we did with SOMS or that they did with us was the, the Sunshine Girls as a group, we received an award from Jasmine's reign. And then during Cake's reign as Empress, we invited her to do the uh, Read by Queens at the Library. Oh. And then from there, we started getting more and more bookings together or separately. And most of my gigs, I either... Up until about the last year, I either created myself or I just really forced myself into them. So I, I don't think I actually got my own individual Prairie Sky booking until I was maybe, I think 2015 was the first time, or 2016, I would have been the first time, one of those years. Ah, and the, the girls who helped you make Queer Bingo at the Goodwill, was that also the Sunshine Bunch? That was all the Sunshine Bunch, yeah. Oh, everybody, this is your last set with the Sunshine Bunch. Thank you so much for having us. Let's do this. We were doing something just a little bit more raw than the court system is in Winnipeg. It was we're, we were just a little bit more. I don't want to say open because all of those queens that were in, that are involved in the court system are all very open individually, but they all have a certain aesthetic that wasn't always present in our in what we were doing. The Sunshine Bunch. Tell me a little bit about that. I know that it's connected to the Sunshine House, yes? Yeah, correct. So at the Sunshine House we have we operate one we operate one drop-in. There's three main programs, four main programs that happen at the Sunshine House, and one of them is the Like That Drop-in. And so my myself and Margaret and one of my former drag daughters, we started this idea about like a drop-in that exists in Winnipeg for primarily adults or people who are no longer fall in that youth category who need a space where they can just come and express themselves. And initially it started for people who didn't feel comfortable in places like the Rainbow Resource Center or like clinic 
or other spaces because of the types of activities that they participate in, whether that might be substance use or and or else the t- how people make money. And then, of course, the racialization that often happens in those spaces, whether it's intentional or unintentional, that people feel very racialized in those spaces. So we wanted to open up something along those lines. And then from there... We brought in pheromones into the fold, and then we brought and we met with several other community organizations within Winnipeg, including Rainbow Research Center, including representatives from Clinic, Winnipeg School Division, myself, who had been working in in homelessness with the Main Street Project at that time, and uh, Mount Carmel Clinic, and other folks, and we just kind of talked, and queer people of color of Winnipeg, of course, and we just kind of talked about what this could look like, and so we opened in December of 2014. And we didn't know what it was going to look like. And the the first few meetings, there was just a few of us. And then the by January, people had started to take notice by late January, early February. And then other folks started just popping in. And it became pretty diverse by that point. Still really reflected kind of the original intentions of whatever that was going to be. By March, we realized that we were running out of that initial seed money that we had for the program. So it came. To, we had to ask ourselves serious questions like, how do we want to continue doing this? And because everything that we do with the Like That program at Sunshine House is all participant-driven, we just asked people, what do you want to do? How do you want, we, if you want to keep this going, how do you want to keep this going? So we did th- three things. We did a promotional video which included some drag in it. Uh, So I appeared in drag and I was like talking in the video, which was our thing for, for our fundraiser campaign. And then another person was like, well, let's have a taco sale, except let's all dress in drag or let's all dress really glamorous and do like a drag queen taco delivery. And then another person, Iris was like, I want to do a drag queen bingo like, but not like they do at Club 200. I want to do a drag queen bingo that reflects the drag queen bingos that I used to do in Vancouver. And it was really funny because around the same time when we started doing drag, uh, one of my really good friends, Blaine, who is a DJ, he was like, you should do drag queen bingos like we used to do in Vancouver. And so Blaine and Iris kind of put these ideas together. We approached a couple of organizations, uh, like a couple of places where we could do these, have this venue. But we also knew at that time that many of our folks didn't, many of the folks who use Sunshine House either weren't allowed into Club 200 or didn't feel safe into Club 200. So we had to think outside of that bar. So we approached the Goodwill as kind of our final option and they were totally receptive to it. And we held our first drag queen bingo and through those three events, the Sunshine Bunch was born. So the Sunshine Bunch is this ragtag collective of people who do some form of drag and do some performance, but also serve as our as the faces of the Like That program, as well as the fundraising arm of that program. So everyone pitches in in some capacity to make bingos happen, to make other types of events happen. And that's really what the Sunshine Bunch is, is kind of one small component, but the public face for this drop-in program that continues to exist at 
at Sunshine House. So a lot of people think that the Like That program is for drag queens or for trans women or specifically only for two-spirit people, and that's fine, but it's also for everybody. So it's like anyone who feels like they need a space just to like hang out and try different types of things. A lot of the times what we're doing at, at the program is just sitting around and eating and just <laughs> gossiping. It's, it's, it's just a very weird type of environment, very queer and very fun. And that's located on... It, Logan and Sherbrooke. So it's located right in the heart of Centennial, it still kind of reflects that community and that the the people who who live and work in those spaces in downtown in Point Douglas in the North End and in the West End and and of course in Centennial. The Sunshine Bunch takes drag from what I've seen to traditionally not queer places necessarily. So I've seen you perform at, for example, Rainbow Trout and the Goodwill and and the Taco Delivery. And stuff like that. And I had another example, but I can't remember what it was. What's kind of the differences between performing in a place that's that you would typically expect to see a drag performance versus a place where you wouldn't necessarily? So one of the things that always that I've always found really fascinating and super fun with the type of drag and the type of events that we get to collaborate on or be a part of is that every time we do events in non- typically queer spaces such as Rainbow Trout or even the Tallest Poppy or even the Goodwill is that you're working in an environment where you get to really showcase your talent to somebody who's never met you and somebody who may never have encountered or felt any kind of need to encounter drag in any way so we have to always we always know that we have to be on our A-game and we have to be Fast and furious, but also fun and approachable. For example, when we do the Red by Queens at the Millennium Library or even at particularly at the West End Library, it's always super fun because we're in a gym reading to children in the lobby (laughs) and there is tons and tons of queer energy and queer beauty that's happening in that space. And sometimes people don't know how to react and they just walk with their head down. And sometimes people will look at us hostile and that's fine. Like, like whatever. That's your own, that's your own shit. It's not my problem. And then a lot of the times people will just be like, wow, that was so much fun. I, I remember these two young kids, they were like, we just came here to, to like work out. And then we saw you all come in and we just hung out for the whole time. And we listened to the, all the stories and you were all so fun and beautiful and amazing. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily happen in queer bars or at like queer parties or it's always a unique experience. Now it's, hey, oh God, what is happening over here? Jesus Christ. What does performing in drag give you as a person beyond what you could experience in everyday life? Drag allows me to create this character or this hyper-fantastic extension of myself. So for me personally, as Levi, I'm much more reserved I prefer to be alone and I prefer more introverted types of activities. I like to get lost in my thoughts or travel alone or just not have to engage with the world at the pace the world wants to engage with me. 
Whereas when I'm prairie, I can be a lot more extroverted. I can be a lot more conscious in the way that I take up space, but I also have to be a lot more conscious of the way that the world is interacting with me. It forces me to be a lot sharper and a lot more creative and continually try to better myself or try to work on things that maybe if I just was living my life as Levi all the time, maybe I wouldn't have to think about those things. Maybe I wouldn't have to come to terms with my own internalized misogyny and my own kind of internalized transphobia. And I wouldn't have to have discussions about the way that I, as a mostly cisgender male, kind of interact and engage in the world if I didn't do drag. And it seems like you also use kind of the platform that you've created for yourself as a drag queen to bring up a lot of different really important issues and conversations. I don't necessarily think that I bring them up. These things just naturally happen and they happen because people who are a lot braver than I are are willing to put themselves out there. But I also understand that if I want to live in a world and if I want to engage and I want to create spaces that are safe for everybody and when I have a megaphone like I do being a drag queen I have to be aware of my role sometimes as an ally sometimes as an advocate and sometimes as a leader and then sometimes most of the time as a listener and as somebody who should just be conscious so I don't necessarily initiate a lot of those conversations, but I also am not afraid to engage in those conversations when I need to. And I like to think that I'm always willing to learn from other people's experiences. And I I understand that because I'm white passing or I'm a man most of the time, people people will listen to me sometimes a lot more than they'll listen to somebody else, which is just the unfortunate reality of of life in 20th century or 20, yeah, 21st century Winnipeg sort of thing, right? So, Do you think that's one of the greatest benefits of drag queens to the queer community? Well, it depends. I have seen a lot of shitty drag queens who don't use that and don't want to have these conversations and don't recognize how they contribute to the violence of oppression and contribute to the continued marginalization of people so sometimes drag queens can be really really important in forcing these conversations to happen sometimes in a very fun and casual kind of way where you walk away from like a really good drag show or a really good drag queen and you walk away from that experience being like oh yeah that person is actually talking about these things that have deeper meaning and oh I'm I'm really thinking about things like fat phobia now that I've gone to Tyra's show or something like that. Uh, so that kind of stuff I think is, is a wonderful gift that many drag queens give, but I don't want to say that all drag queens are, are these nice, smart, intelligent people who are willing to engage in uncomfortable conversations. Cause it's not true. It's not true anywhere. It's we're all capable of being shitty and we all engage in shitty behavior all the time. Right. So I think that as as drag queens we can we can be more aware of these things and people might listen to us or something we say or do might stick whereas opposed to you see these types of conversations online or in real life 
And a lot of the times it's just people not engaging in conversation in a real way. So that's, that's the beauty of art. People can engage with any type of art and walk away from it at their own pace sometimes. And so I think that that's just kind of drag. And I think even sort of the, the visibility of drag queens is a really important thing. So for example, as a non-binary person, it seems like as a greater society, we're getting a little bit more comfortable talking about trans issues. Still not very far, but we're getting close. We've just barely scratched the surface of non-binary issues, and yet drag queens since for, for literally hundreds of years have been kind of reversing or changing those perceptions of binary gender. That's nice. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's really a question there. <laughs> no, I don't I don't know. Like I it's it's really I think that's a really nice way to perceive drag queens. I don't know if that's actually the case a lot of the times cuz we like we see a lot of people who engage in drag as drag queens who still have extremely close-minded and narrow-minded views about gender and the way that gender is performed and created and constructed, who just don't use that kind of megaphone or the platform that they have to question themselves. I think the best example of that is, like, Willem. Like, Willem is supposed to be this, like, smart and super funny, irreverent drag queen, but... Anytime I watch her or anytime I see her do things, I'm always just left questioning what, how they're not better at what they're doing. And like he just got in a whole bunch of trouble not too long ago with his interview or his podcast or something, whatever he did with Courtney Act. And he was just like terribly transphobic. And I'm just like, so I think that drag queens can sometimes open up that conversation but i also think that drag queens we're often capable of shutting down conversations before we even allow them to have any kind of fruition or blossom into something that that's worthy of discussion all right so this is a cute little show hey it's nice yeah you got a five dollar dollar bill uh, 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 uh. Uh, here i come Catch that last Greyhound out of Winnipeg. <laughs> to Brandon. <laughs> All right. So when the name Prairie Sky, how did you come up with that? When I was, like, coming to terms with my own drag, I, I lived in Fort Francis, or Kuchiching First Nation, and I would drive to Winnipeg all the time, and I was seeing somebody in Winnipeg, so I would come every weekend to see him. And I came out of that that bush kind of area. If you're ever coming on the number one going west towards Winnipeg from Kenora, you come out of that bush right after Richer and right before the underpass to go to Steinbach, and you get this big, you get no more trees, and it's just it's just sky, it's just land and sky. And I was like, that's my name, Prairie Sky, because it's just the sky is so big and daunting and changing and can be ferocious and can be tranquil. And so I wanted to be something. That's what I want. I wanted to have some, I wanted to emulate some of that power that a prairie sky has. Cause I've lived in mountainous regions. I've lived in a jungle. I've lived in a forest and nothing 
is ever makes you feel as tiny but as connected as like a prairie sky so that's what i wanted to kind of emulate that's so beautiful so let's talk about canada's a drag so you were featured on cbc's series which was documenting drag queens all across canada Mm -hmm. and you were kind of selected as the queen from winnipeg i was selected as the queen from between Edmonton and Toronto, <laughs> which is quite, quite the thing. You were the the Prairie Queen, the Prairie. Sky. I was well. I, I think Edmonton is kind of the Prairie still, isn't it? Is it? Maybe is it? I think it's the. I it would geographically probably part of the Northern Plains. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> so how did that? How did that come to be? How did you? How were you selected? I was selected by the producer Peter Nett. He just put a call out on his Facebook and said, I'm looking at, and I think on his Twitter, I'm looking for drag queens who represent all of the spectrums from across Canada to be featured in a small web series that was going to be aired on CBC Arts website. I didn't know him at the time, and I'm I'm not super connected to the media community or anything like that. But a number of folks put my name forward, and I was really humbled by that. But I didn't actually think anything would happen, because honestly, if you think about who would be representative of like Winnipeg drag and who is doing some of the most u- and has been doing some of the most unique things in Winnipeg, I think that like Picky and Glory would have been really interesting choices or some of the younger queens or people who have been doing drag kind of forever in this city like could have done Vita or you could have done Dar or Tyra or or just a number of people and then there's you're also neglecting all of like Regina and Saskatoon (laughs) and but anyways they apparently liked my Instagram and they liked my Facebook. And so they reached out and they were just like, okay, here you go. Uh, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, sure. Like, of course, why not? And that's just how it started. So he said, okay, well, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. And we're going to find a production com- a local production company to kind of film you. And if you have anyone in mind, let me know. And so I didn't really know anybody. I like, I don't, I'm not... That's not my community at all. But then I got to work with some wonderful queers from New Media who, once I I met them, I was like, this is going to be a really fantastic piece. And I had total trust and confidence in them because I knew that those folks would present me as something as being way more composed and put together than I actually am in real life. Uh, So that's just how it happened. And it was a really fun experience. And so then this time around... Because they're going to be doing it again this time around. Peter like personally messaged me and was like, "Who do you know who would be a good fit for Canada as a drag?" And so I put forth like a short list of about eight queens that were from here, Regina, as well as one queen from Edmonton who I really enjoy. So, but it sounds like they selected somebody from Winnipeg for the next installment. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm really, really excited to see who it'll be. I haven't heard anything, but I saw that he was looking for a production company in Winnipeg to work on this. So, that's right. Make some fucking noise. Your kids aren't here. 
It's okay, maybe. <laughs> They're not here. You can be as wild as you want to be. How's everybody doing tonight? Wonderful. Another big reason why I wanted to talk to you is because I see you on another bill like every week. Like there was a period in, in August where I was photographing you three times in one week. I just, I feel like I see you working a ton. I do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie and I'm not being like arrogant, but I do work a lot. And a lot of it is because I'm very passionate about drag. But the other part of it is that I'm, I'm highly functional at making things happen. That's one of my talents and that's one of my strengths. If this were a job interview, I would say what they'd ask me what your skills are. And I'm like, I can make shit happen. (laughs) I've been planning events and I've been coordinating events for like 15 years now. So I know what it takes to make something happen. And because of that skill that I'm constantly working on, people will reach out to me and they know that they're going to get someone who's at least reliable or someone who you can contact and someone who will help with making the event a success. And I try my I try my very very best to do that. So of course I help like with the assistance of Pheromones and I and Margaret the ED at Sunshine House. We of course do all of the Sunshine Bunch kind of events and then because of the relationship that I have with other queens in the city and because of my past year as being duchess I had to do all of those events. And then, again, I have really worked hard at maintaining and creating relationships with other organizers in the city because I know that at some point I'm going to have to rely on them, and so then they know that they can rely on me, and so people will just ask me to to do events. I don't think it's because I'm, I'm, I'm not the best performing queen. I'm not even the best look queen, but I'm pretty solid at those things, and so they know they're getting something reliable and something that people enjoy seeing and I I do when I have a little bit of downtime I really do like the creative aspect of drag I really like going to the studio and creating something completely new or something that I can wear the shit out of for a, for a long time but I haven't really had that opportunity since May to actually sit down and create an outfit or a piece that I put a lot of effort and thought into also now that you're more established as a queen you have your own house. Is that called House Sky? Not really. It's just like the House <laughs> of Sky. Um, yeah, I have several daughters. When the drag at Sunshine House really took off and the Sunshine Bunch took off and more people started coming around, there was three of us who kind of took the roles as den mothers. So there was myself and then pheromones and then Sandy Bay, and so we would kind of all lay claim to queens that we felt that we worked with or that people who just gravitated towards us. A lot of the times the daughters that I have are kind of select me or I'll select them, or it just happens by chance where they're like, uh, like for example, Slaytana, she, her and I never really had any kind of conversations outside of some small conversations I think maybe on Grinder, <laughs> and then she got chosen to do that Now or Never episode where she got put into drag for the first time and she didn't know how to paint herself and so she asked me if I could come and help her paint and then Now or Never also asked us if we could come and perform as part of her number so I think there was myself and Pharaoh and I think Soleil and we all performed with 
Slaytana for her first time ever in drag. And then she became one of my daughters. It just kind of happens by happenstance. It's just a thing that just occasionally happens. Or I'll see a new girl or people will reach out to me on social media and be like, how do I go about being a drag queen? And if I can tell that they're serious and they're willing to put in some effort and understand that drag is 40% preparation and training and then like another 45 or 35% being able to continually work at yourself. And once I kind of get that sense from people, then I'll be like, okay, you can be a, come be a sky. So (laughs) what's it like having some of these younger Queens looking up to you for advice? I don't know. (laughs) I, I honestly don't know. Like it's, it's fun and it's oftentimes really challenging But again, because of the way that the community here is in Winnipeg and because we're small and because there's so much love and support and like generosity that I don't feel any more looked up to than anybody else. Because I know that if if they need help with something, they can they'll they'll reach out to somebody else. And I know that they're always in good hands. We all take mostly take care of ourselves. If you come to drag with a nice approach and you're respectful to other queens and you lose and you don't carry an attitude or a holier-than-thou kind of arrogance, then the queens will respect you and they'll want to work with you and they'll want to, they'll make themselves available for you. So how was that? Is this fun? Are you having the best time? The best! The best. So Tina's having the best time. I heard the man's voice. I know, right? Who hasn't heard it? So also, feel free to... I wanted to talk a little bit about the way that you incorporate your First Nations heritage into your drag. I've seen some outfits that you wear that kind of reflect that and also some musical numbers. Well, I think it's really, really important for me because through drag, I was able to come to terms with my own gender identity and understanding kind of what it means to be a contemporary indigenous queer person or contemporary and a contemporary like two-spirit person I also had to recognize that through my family and through my indigeneity that was also one of the few places where I was always safe and where I always felt beautiful and appreciated I needed I like for me it's very important to reflect that because Well, we live in Winnipeg and we know that images about Indigenous people and what being Indigenous is in 2018 is not always nice. And we know that it's not always represented beautifully or fairly in media and in our day-to-day lives. And so I like to take some of those things and just reflect that everything that I do and every time I do represent myself using just like sometimes symbols or songs or artist choices is not as a protest and I'm not speaking to the non-Indigenous people in the audience. I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to other peoples who know and who can recognize those symbols and understand that we're really beautiful and that we should be really proud of who we are, but we should also just not have to care. (laughs) Our lives shouldn't have to be determined and defined by always having to affirm our identities to non-Indigenous people. That's not that's not why I do it. I'm not doing it to be like, this is what makes me special. I'm doing it because this is what made me feel beautiful for my whole life. And this is the best way that I can present that. Final number, 
fucking Saint Marie. She is, she is our queen. I grew up with her. She was on fucking Sesame Street. She was the first indigenous woman on Sesame Street. She was the best. She also is a political activist. She's amazing. She has done so much for all of us. And so now we're going to do our best to pay homage to Buffy. So this film. What do you see in the future for for Prairie Sky? <laughs> it's a pretty broad topic. It's really, it's really, really hard to say because drag comes and goes in waves. And I, there was Ben de la Creme who said that, and she said like, and with every wave, it seems to be stronger. But then they'll also with every wave, things there'll be a time, a period of time where things will rescind. I, I feel like I've really established myself in the last two or three years within the community, but also that artists should have an expiry date. We all have our moments, but we all have to be able to be gracious enough to step out of that moment when other people arrive who offer something completely different and completely unique. And also, if we don't do it graciously, it'll happen very ungraciously. So I feel that eventually my time will slow down and that I'll be able to do drag hopefully more at a pace that I'm comfortable with. Ideally, what I would love to do is I would love to go on the road for a year or two and just be able to tour. Like that would be so much fun, but that's not, that's not a thing that's really in the future for Queens from Winnipeg, right? It's, it'll take something very large, like RuPaul's Drag Race would have to happen for that to happen. And I don't even think that I'm, that what I do is, would translate to a larger audience or to like a national or international audience like that. And then secondly, I feel that there's such an a tremendous amount of talent and of young folks who are emerging and who are doing really, really fun things with drag that I feel like those young kids they're going to surpass what I'm doing and that's totally fine. But maybe again, that's just an opportunity for all of us older ones to kind of reflect on what we're doing and how we're doing it and then change it up. Like there's no reason for us to not be responsive to that and to not change with the times. It's like any artist community you have, it's always reflective of kind of larger trends in society or the, forebearers of what's going to happen. So I don't know. So I think probably within maybe the next six months, maybe the next year, maybe the next two years, I might disappear or I might not have the same amount of bookings or place within the community. And that's totally fine. Or maybe I'll still be doing the same thing at the same pace and I'll just have a lot more gray hairs and a lot more wrinkles and tape. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up about, about drag, about yourself, about Winnipeg? I love, so the one thing that I always love about Winnipeg that I love about Winnipeg Queens and I love about the Winnipeg scene is as I got more exposure to other drag systems and other drag like what's happening in other cities, it made me really, really appreciate just the rawness of Winnipeg, but also the ability for all of us to come together and to create this very, very regional identity. We're not as hung up on looks and we're not as hung up on being fishy. We're, we allow people and we give people the creative space to be weird but the one thing about it all is that 
we put on the best performances without a doubt in my mind and we also have the most fun wherever we are and that's the best thing about Winnipeg is that this scene is really really small but it's so energetic and it's so lovely but the people here just have we just have the best time I think that's just reflected if you walk into Club 200 on a night where there's six or seven of us doing a number it doesn't have the same kind of bitchy vibe as many other places do when there's a bunch of drag queens around not always sometimes there's bitchy vibes but we just have it's just a bunch of people having a lot of fun dressed as clowns (laughs) you know like that's what it is it's great I love it A local drag queen. I'm a local queen in Winnipeg. I am an Asian drag queen. I am a queen here in Winnipeg. I am a fairly new queen. I've been doing drag for eight plus years. I've been doing drag here in Winnipeg for the past 10 years. I've been doing drag for almost 20 years now. I've been doing drag for way too long. I am a drag queen in Winnipeg. I'm a drag queen. (laughs) Well, we've done it. 13 episodes and 15 performers diving as deep as we could into the architecture of Winnipeg's drag scene. So what have you learned? A greater understanding of the issues and forces impacting our city's queer scene? A complicated and beautiful wreath of chosen family? Maybe what makes Winnipeg drag truly one of a kind, a hub of creativity and talent that deserves an international audience, that deserves compensation. I want to hear from you. What did you like? What did you wish you could hear more about? What did you take away? It's really hard for me to describe the way I myself was impacted by this series. Thirteen times I asked the people who inspired and terrified me the most to sit down in a basement recording studio and tell me their stories. Seven months later and they've welcomed me into their clubs, their homes, and their families. So to every performer that's been on the show and every performer who hasn't, thank you for everything. I can't tell you how much you've changed my life. But we're not finished yet. Keep up to date with local drag events, drag news, and of course, photos from drag shows on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now that you have a body of reference for some of our city's incredible talent, you've never been more prepared to come out to a show and see it live for yourself. Check out our event calendar on the Drag in the Peg Facebook page. Come on out to a show and don't be shy to reach out to us. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that none of these glamorous dragoons are half as scary as they look. One last time, thank you to Claire Boning, who worked so, so hard on the intro and outro music. I know how much time you spent putting together the perfect sound for the show, and I couldn't be happier. And thank you again to Red River College for your audio equipment. Until next time, remember to always, always tip your local drag queens.